Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Luke 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. And we need your word. And so we pray that you would take it and unfold it to our hearts, instruct us, cause us to see wonderful things in it. Lord, a familiar story, one that we are well accustomed with, we pray today that you would take it and make it new and fresh for us, that we would indeed come and adore our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We pray it in his name. Amen. Please be seated. I think every year that challenge of having such a familiar story as the Christ story, uh, I, that's, I pray that every year. Lord, would you, would you make it fresh? Would you renew it? Would you give me excitement about something that sometimes it's hard to manufacture? You know, as kids we're excited, but our motives are <laughs> not right, are they? And as we grow into adulthood, we want Christmas to still be exciting, but we realize that, you know, gifts aren't, you know, just like when we were kids, they aren't, they don't last. The excitement wears off and our mindset starts to transform. And I find that as the years go by, the hope that is Christ is something that deepens. And so my prayer for all of us this season is that the Lord would take us just a little bit deeper and help us to see the glory and the beauty that is our Savior who has come to us. We're looking at the songs of Advent from Luke's Gospel. For those who haven't been with us, today we're on 
the song of the angels. And this is a song which was sung to these shepherds who were outside of Bethlehem the night of Christ's birth. Unlike all of the other songs, this is the only one which was not sung by humans. This was a song sung by God's messengers, sung by his angels. And as we consider this, we typically think of the humans in the experience, and we talk about them, and we'll do that today. But at the outset, I want us to take just a moment, although I thought Zach was going to preach my sermon for me, because in God's providence, he said some of the same things that I wanted to draw out in the very beginning. And I love it when the Lord does that, because we didn't plan this, we didn't talk about it, uh, we, we, we didn't discuss it at all, and yet what he said at the very beginning, well, it's going to sound like I'm repeating him here, because this is, this is what's going on behind the scene. We don't think of what the angel's perspective was. And frankly, we don't know a lot. The scriptures don't tell us a lot, but the scriptures do give us that little bit of insight from that passage that uh, Zach referred to from First Peter. Let me back up just a little bit and read some more of it because what's happening with the angels here is that they're coming to make an announcement of God's plan of redemption. Angels are created beings. They're not omniscient. And so they are getting to see and, and learn what God is doing. They're outside of space and time. They're entering space and time. How all that works, we don't understand. But yet there is something that is mysterious and beautiful that they long to look into about the story of redemption. Listen to Peter's words concerning this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. Things into which the angels long to look. And here in this moment, in this song that we're considering today, that the angels sung, there was something of a longing. So from that, something of great joy that they not only announced, but got to experience themselves as being the bearers of this message. This saving plan that was being unfolded before humans was also being learned or experienced in a way that the angels were glad to do it. They were filled with joy. And so this choir breaks out to bring this song of salvation to these shepherds in the field. Like the other songs, the title is a Latin title, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. We sing this, we know it. It's simply the first line in Latin from the, from the words here in the passage, glory to God in the highest, from this song that the angels sang. The song is just about that. It's all about God's glory that this message, this news that is breaking forth in space and time is coming down from heaven. And this one being born who has from eternity enjoyed the praises of these angels is now being announced by these angels to these humans who so desperately needed what he was bringing, salvation. The birth announcement is rightfully glorious. We see this, it's this moment that's wedged in this whole story. And we tend to, well, we sentimentalize the whole Christmas story. We'll talk about that more in a minute. We do it. All of us do it. It's hard not to do it. Our traditions, our experiences, and so forth bring that into play for us. 
But we, we often think of this glorious moment that these angels broke through in singing this song, and we forget everything else that was a part of the story. Because the lowness with which our Savior came is what would mark his entire life. He would be despised and rejected by men in order that he might save us. This is what the angels came to announce. And so beginning in verse 1, we see the scene open with Mary and Joseph, and they're following the order of law. Caesar Augustus, in an effort to tax all people, and we know how that works, right? There is nothing that, and and think about this, 2,000 years ago, right? There's no way to escape taxation. Every time people try, they get caught. And so we understand that whoever has the power, unless it's the Boston Tea Party, we usually don't resist. And so the instruction for that day was go to the town that you were born in to be registered, and this was all for the purpose of taxation. Now, Luke goes into some detail, not a ton, but he he hints at some things that are helpful. And I have to tell you that I got off on a rabbit trail in my studies this week with all this history, and I was so it's so interesting, you know, that I wanted to bring all this in and share it all with you, but there's simply not enough time. So if that's something that interests you, I can send you PDFs and stuff to read. Of all what was going on, that, that brought this to play, uh, that, th- that this is how the story would unfold. And there's two things that emerge from these details that Luke provides. The first is, God was sovereignly orchestrating this event to bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem at just the right time. If you think about this, Caesar is exercising his power. He's unknowingly filled with pride. Well, he may have known he had pride, but he's unknowingly being filled with pride, working to accomplish what God had planned and foretold hundreds of years ago. His plans, without his knowledge, are subservient to the God of all creation. And so he is bringing to fruition the location of the Messiah's birth according to the prophecy. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days, from Micah 5.2. That is what the Caesar, without his knowledge, was orchestrating. God could have sent another angel to tell Joseph and Mary, go to Bethlehem. He didn't. He chose to work through history to accomplish this. And not to take a rabbit trail that I don't intend to, but we need to remember this when God uproots us. And I don't mean that just physically. It's certainly true in that case. But when God changes our plans in whatever context, when God does the unexpected, when we're, our, our dreams are dashed or our disappointments or surprises come along, we need to remember that God is sovereign over all of these matters and He is often working and doing things which we don't have eyes yet to see but are going to be for our good and for His glory. That's true all of the time. Even things that we don't get to see and experience in this life, even suffering, even being wronged and experiencing injustice, God is at work to accomplish His purposes. David Gooding writes, For Augustus, the taking of censuses was one of the ways he employed to get control over the various parts of his empire. But, and here is the irony of the thing, in the process, as he thought of tightening his grip on his huge empire, he so organized that Jesus, son of Mary, son of David, son of God, destined to sit on the throne of Israel and of the world, 
was born in the city of David, his royal ancestor. Not only was the location prophesied, but as you see, the line in which he would come was also foretold. And here, Luke puts the spotlight on this, that he was born in the line of David. He mentions it twice in verse 4. This is the same thing that the angel had told Mary. He will be great and he will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Even in that message from the angel, he is giving a nod to the prophecy of Isaiah 9-7 that his, of his reign or of his kingdom there will be no end. So here, Luke is pointing our attention to not only the location being fulfilled according to prophecy, but the lineage is also being fulfilled according to that which has been foretold. And so it is that lineage that Joseph was born in the line of David that they would then need to come to Bethlehem on that specific day and time for that purpose at just the right time that Christ may be born in the city of Bethlehem. And that moment then arrives as we see in verse 6, and while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. All of this had been orchestrated that they should be there at this time. This was to fulfill the prophecy, not that just that Jesus was born in the city of David, but also that he would come in lowliness and humility. We see this in a number of prophecies like in Zechariah 9 and Isaiah 53, which we're particularly familiar with. But this is the beginning. It wasn't just in his, in his ministry and in his death that he was humiliated, but it was his entire life. He came in humility. It began at his birth. They come to this end, and there's no room in the end. And again, we like to sentimentalize this and kind of wonder that this was some kind of, you know, Hampton Inn, Motel 6, we'll leave the light on for you kind of experience. But, well, I mean, it was a different place and different time in history at this point. And so what was actually happening here, we're not given a lot of details. It's likely that this, it could have been a formal inn. Uh, it could have been something that existed where there was an innkeeper. It also, a lot of people speculate that because of the census, that people were turning their homes into kind of makeshift um, uh, hostels. And so that this is kind of what they experienced because the term for inn is really upper room. And so people who had this upper room could have made use and made a little extra money. There's also an uh, argument made that this was actually some kind of inn uh, that was near a cave, and this is where they ended up. And this goes back some, some, some ways in history, keeping with tradition. But the point of Luke mentioning this, that there's no room in the end, is that there's, there's no extra beds, there's no, there's no floor space, there's nothing. So that what they're, they're forced to do is to go out where the animals are, to the place of squalor, to where the animals slept, to where they were fed uh, and rested. And this is where the Savior of the world was born. This is where the King of Kings arrived. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Verse 7 then adds that she wrapped him in swaddling cloths or strips of cloth and she laid him in a manger. This is a picture of not only obscurity that he is there alone with only his parents, but it's a picture of great vulnerability as well. We can't even really imagine something like this in our own day and time. Jesus was not born into warmth 
safety and comfort, but in the cold air, in unsanitary conditions with only a feeding trough for a place to lay. He wasn't born to an awaiting royal family, to birth announcements on parchment, or to fanfare of trumpets from the castle walls, but only to his parents and whatever ate out of that manger and to whatever sounds those animals made. The people that he came to didn't know. They didn't understand. As the prophet Isaiah spoke, the ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. There was no grand welcome from his people. There was no putting on the spread, making the ideal conditions for his birth. I mentioned the sentimentalizing that we do uh, and there's no greater expression of this in my mind, and this is my opinion, and I realize that I'm walking on ice here because of our traditions, but Silent Night is not an accurate representation of the nativity scene. Now, we'll sing it. We're going to sing it tonight. We, we sing it or, or Christmas Eve. We, we, uh, we will sing Silent Night, but it's not really. There, it wasn't a silent night. I really like Andrew Peterson's song much better. It's called Labor of Love. It starts out, it was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyways that night on the streets of David's town. And the stable was not clean, and the cobblestones were cold. And little Mary, full of grace, with tears upon her face, had no mother's hand to hold. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above. But for the girl on the ground in the dark, with every beat of her beautiful heart, It was a labor of love. We tend to sentimentalize it. It was no sentimental story. Even that song approaches that and how it moves our hearts when we hear it or read it. But Jesus was born in lowly conditions. And the announcement, glorious as it was, that the angels came to bring was actually brought to some of the lowliest of people. Shepherds. Shepherds were... Uh, they were not high on the totem pole in Palestine. (laughs) This was not a middle-class job. They were seen as dirty because they were, but also because they, because of the the nature of their job, they couldn't keep ceremonially clean. So they were outcasts. And then furthermore, they had the reputation of being liars and cheaters and thieves, so that according to Jewish tradition, they couldn't even testify in a court of law. There were few people in this society at this point in history who were lower than shepherds. And yet this is to whom the angels brought their announcement. This is who was first told that the Savior had arrived. If Jesus came for the lowly, then He came for all. If Jesus came for the least of these then He could save anyone. And doesn't that give us hope? We don't have to get cleaned up to come to Christ because He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to fix all of our vices. He mends our evil hearts and saves us from the wrath that should be ours. We don't have to fake happiness or good feelings because He is our joy and peace that is beyond all understanding. You see, Jesus didn't come to find people who were a good fit to join His club, Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. 
misfits, outcasts, those who are poor in spirit, the brokenhearted who know they need saving, those longing for grace because they know they are captive to sin, to the ones desperate for mercy because they know they can't break free from the prison of their unrighteousness. You see, when Jesus entered His earthly ministry, He announced it by quoting Isaiah 61, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came for lowly shepherds, unclean by Jewish standards and untrustworthy in their courts of law, and transformed these societal outcasts into his first earthly messengers of the gospel. The angels brought the announcement, but the shepherds were the first ones charged with sharing that announcement. And it all begins with a single angel breaking into the night sky. Verse 9, the glory of the Lord shining around him. You can imagine these, these shepherds, they did this every night. This was a complete surprise. But it was really a kindness of God to only send the one to start things off. Can you imagine if the whole choir showed up first and then the one spoke? You know, because look at what their reaction was. They're filled with great fear just when this one angel shows up. And they're not unusual because this is almost always the account that we see in Scripture when an angel appears. That the whoever he's visiting falls on the ground in fear. And that's because these aren't the cute cherub-like little creatures that we see hewn in stone or cast in silver for sale in the gift shop. Angels are mighty, robust, ardent creatures that strike fear in those who see them. And we see that their message almost always begins in the same way. Fear not. (laughs) When they show up, they need to start off that way because that's the response And this is exactly what the angel says to the shepherds. Fear not. He then explains that he's come with this good news. Good news that's going to bring significant joy to all the people. The good news is for certain people. Now, if you don't believe me, go back to your Greek manuscripts and look. The definite article is there. It says all the people. And the reason that the angels specify this is because the good news of Jesus Christ is not good news to those who reject Christ. The gospel is the announcement of God's judgment on those who reject Christ. This is why we call people to faith. That it would be good news because we're saved from our sins, but if you shake your fist in the face of God, this is not good news. How sobering it is to think of that. So the message is for all the people. The people that would hear and respond. The people that God elected before the foundation of the world. The good news is that a Savior had been born. And that's the universal need among all of us who are humans. If you're human, you're a sinner. And you have a problem. We all have a problem. We have this problem called sin and we can't save ourselves from it. The shepherds are as needy as Mary, who was as needy as Caesar Augustus. It didn't matter what your position was in society. It doesn't matter what it is today. We're all on equal footing. We're all equally in need of being saved. But note the angel says that this Savior has been born unto you. This is what he tells the shepherds. He's been born unto you, shepherds. This announcement is given to you. 
The announcement wasn't given to the, the Pharisees or the priests. It wasn't given to Caesar, to the governor, to the rich, or to the successful. But it's given to these shepherds. The Savior's been born unto you. It's not to say that the others are excluded. But again, if Jesus has come to the outcast, then he is able to save to the uttermost. No one is beyond his saving arm. And then the angel points out the location of his birth. He's, he's letting the shepherds know that in keeping with prophecy, this is where the one, it's been foretold, he's been born in the city of David in Bethlehem. And then if there's any doubt that this is who the angel's speaking of, he gives him the title Christ the Lord. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, the anointed one. He is saying to these shepherds, this is the one. He is the Messiah. And by adding the title of Lord, he's pointing to his deity. He is saying to them, this is Yahweh in the flesh. God has come to visit his people to shepherd them in care and save them from their sins. And then the angel tells them there's a sign. You'll be able to verify this. You'll be able to see that all I have told you is true. A sign that you can follow. And implied in this giving of the sign, he doesn't tell them to go and find Jesus, but it's implied that, hey, here's a sign. You you ought to go look for this. You ought to go find this one who has been born. And he tells them the details. It's a baby, flesh and blood. But there might be a few of those in Bethlehem that night, so there's more detail. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths. Okay, this narrows it down a little bit. And then finally, lying in a manger. That That ought to do it. There's probably not too many babies lying in a manger. Again, we sentimentalize that. We may think that was the normal thing. It wasn't. This was still unusual even in this time to have a baby in a feeding trough. And then at this point, the angel is joined by the entire choir, the whole throng of heavenly creatures singing this song, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Two messages in this song. Praise God. Because of his redemption, all glory belongs to him. And because of this redemption, now his peace is ours. That's the message. First is glory. J.C. Ryle wrote, Now is come the highest degree of glory to God. By the appearing of his Son, Jesus Christ, in the world, he, by his life and death on the cross, will glorify God's attributes, justice, holiness, mercy, and wisdom, as they never were glorified before. Jesus put in the flesh and revealed to us who God is. And in His glory, we are given His peace through His saving work. You know, even if we could ever achieve peace on earth, how long would it last? Well, if you can't imagine peace on earth, imagine peace in your home. How long does it last? It's temporary. Peace is temporary. Outward peace is temporary because we don't have inward peace. Because we're sinners and we go on sinning. We hurt each other. And so even though there are leaders who want to promise world peace, we'll never know it because of who we are. There was a Stoic philosopher, a secular philosopher, not a believer, a contemporary of Luke, Epictetus. He wrote this, While the emperor may give peace for more on land and sea, He is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart, for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. See, our biggest problem is not outward peace. It's that our sins would be dealt with, that we would be forgiven, that we would be reconciled to God. And until that is dealt with, 
we truly know no peace. This was the message of the angels. That God in His great love and wisdom has sent the Messiah to bring peace through the forgiveness of our sins. And after the angels departed, the shepherds then took their cue that they needed to go and find this one who was born. They say in verse 15, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. It says they went with haste. They were in a hurry. They were excited. They wanted to see this. And they found Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus. And it says in verse 16 that they told them. They gave an account. They explained everything to them. Now, we're not told everything. And we don't know everything. There's obviously some other aspects, some other information. There was more that the angel had to say. There was more elaboration of it. But it says that they told other people as well in verse 18. It says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. See, the shepherds had become the very first evangelists of the good news of the gospel. They had come to share what they had been told, this good news. And it says in verse 19, Mary pondered all these things, treasuring the beauty of God's grace that was unfolding right before her eyes. This is clearly something that was amazing that they were all witnessing. And the shepherds left praising God, giving Him glory for what He had done and what He had revealed to them. And this is really what Advent is about for us. It's a time like Mary to treasure up, to ponder these things in our hearts. One of the reasons why I wanted to go through these songs in Luke's Gospel this year is because I think songs sometimes help us do that in a special way. I mentioned uh, the, the Labor of Love. Uh, it's from Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb. If you've never listened to that at Christmas time, it's an album. I would encourage you to listen to it. It has a way of telling the same story, but for me it's refreshing. It puts new perspective on it. You have your own songs. You have your own poems. You have your own things. That we, It's a time to treasure up to ponder like Mary did the things that God has done. It's a time like the shepherds that we give praise to God. We give Him all the glory because He has brought peace to us who were estranged from Him by sin. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the hope of Christmas. This is the reason that we sing. It's the reason that we celebrate the season. That Jesus has come to save. And the salvation that is offered to us in Him is by faith alone. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We don't contribute anything to His finished work. We have only to trust in Him to be granted His peace and to be made right with our Father in heaven. So come with me to Bethlehem. Come and see. Him whose birth the angels sing, come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do come before you this morning asking that you would take the news of Christ our Savior and give us this great joy that the angels expressed, that the shepherds experienced Help us, like Mary, to ponder and treasure these things in our hearts. First and foremost, to realize that we are sinners in need of salvation. I pray that if there's anyone here today who hasn't come to the place of faith, that you would help them realize that first and foremost. We all come needy, unable to save ourselves, needing to be made right with our Creator. And then, Lord, cause us to see the great salvation that is ours in Jesus. 
that though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, that we might through his work on the cross become rich. And that all riches have been given to us through this work of Christ. And what awaits us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no thought has entered our mind. We can't even imagine what it will be when everything is made right. And Lord, we long for that day. And we take this moment even to say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because we long for the day when everything will be made right. When all darkness will be vanquished away. When every tear will be wiped away. And when all of our hope is revealed. We long for that with anticipation. But Lord, while we are here and while we wait, while we suffer, while we question, while we wonder, Lord, would you comfort our hearts. Use your Spirit's work through your Word, through the ministry of your body, to bring comfort to those who are hurting, especially in this season. Lord, in moments of grief, even moments of despair, would you make your presence especially known to your people? And would you strengthen us to persevere as Christ persevered in his life, that he might come to the place of laying it down so that we might know this salvation that is ours? And then, Lord, bring us renewed joy peace that passes our understanding, joy that we can't masquerade or mull up on our own, joy that is clearly a gift from you. Would you give that this season to us? And may we be thankful for it. May we consider it and ponder it and treasure it up in our hearts and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray.